This is the Big Brand Theory Podcast by Blackwood Creative with your host, Kyle Johnson. And now, here's Kyle. Hey guys, welcome to the Big Brand Theory Podcast. Uh, We are so glad that you're here listening and we can't wait to share with you some information today and really some inspiration, I guess, on the idea of thinking creatively to grow your business. And for those of us that are in marketing, we know that we're just kind of told we need to think creatively. Like that's just part of the job description. But a lot of times if if we're honest, we're struggling a little bit with how do we maintain creative thinking and what does that even, what does that even really mean? And what do we do with it? So uh, what we did here is we've brought on Peter Wilkin to talk to us about the idea of creative thinking. Um, Peter is an author of the book, The Dim Sum Strategy. He's a speaker, a consultant, a professor, a dad, and just an all-around disruptor. So we're excited. Peter, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Well, thanks so much, Kyle. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. And Peter, you've worked with brands uh, in different capacities like Coca-Cola, BMW, like these are brands, Disney, these are brands that we all, these are household names. Um, so that's awesome. We're excited to hope, hopefully glean some some thoughts and some ideas of what your experience and your writing and so forth has brought to the table. So let's talk about this idea of creative thinking and uh, what does, reality, why does that even matter? Like creative thinking, when we think about creative thinking, let's start with, let's start with defining it. Like you tell me what, what from your perspective, from your experience, what is creative thinking? Well, um, I, I define creative thinking as the kind of the use of imagination or original ideas that transcend the usual patterns of thinking or the rules that we're bound by to create something new from something that exists. Um, but it's not just that, you know, kind of disruptive upside down thinking or lateral thinking as De Bono would call it. The real difference about creative thinking is that it has practical application in terms of being able to solve complex problems and drive transformational change. So it's, it's both the process of um, zigging when others are zagging, upside down thinking, um, you know, disruptive patterns of, of thinking, uh, but linked to the ability to uh, create meaningful change, meaningful transformation. That's how I, I perceive creative thinking. Um, sometimes when it's interpreted, people would just think, oh, it's wonderful, crazy blue sky ideas. But without tying it back to down to the ground to some practical application, that's not what how I define creative thinking. So why, when we think about creative thinking, so why, why does that all matter? Like do you, the, the ideas that we have, can yeah. they just not be enough? Why does creative thinking actually matter? Well, it's a, it's a great question. If you don't have it, if you think without that, there is no innovation. There is nothing new. Um, you don't grow or change or experiment you don't um, look around corners. You don't try and innovate or, or sometimes synthesize, put patterns together, create those new things that create the, the, the creative leaps that drive us forward and that advance. Um, <clears throat> it's without that power of imagination, you don't go anywhere. Um, I mean, if I, you use real life examples when I present this, um, I use an example here. I, we arrived here from Hong Kong. I live in Vancouver at the moment. And I can tell you a little bit more about my background later with different brands that you were mentioning. But when we arrived here nearly 13 years ago, um, the local provincial government was squabbling about whether or not they build a bridge or a tunnel in the Massey Tunnel. It was a very congested tunnel that connects the south of the province with the city of Vancouver. <clears throat> 13 years later... Um, they are still debating and arguing whether or not uh-huh. a tunnel or a bridge. 13 years later, wow. in that time, in fact, in less than half that time, within eight years, the Chinese have built the longest landmass um, bridge that connects Zhuhai province in Guangdong 
with um, Hong Kong and Macau in between, 55 kilometers long, four artificial islands, tunnels and bridge, and they've done it in eight years. <laughs> That's the difference between creative thinking and practical application and imagination and bureaucracy and red tape and politicoing and correctness and not making any decisions. So rather... Um, cruel one in a way to make, and it's not very kind on our own political, you know, um, provincial government here, but it's a reality check. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pure example, really. If we're just, we're just following, this is how we've always done things. We can't change anything. We've got to follow all these rules. If we're not disrupting that, that very popular term nowadays, we're not disrupting, we're not thinking differently we're not building a 55 kilometer long bridge tunnel <laughs> island mass thing that's that's then innovative and bringing about new opportunities and jobs and all of these things that that we all want but we're all stuck just thinking the way we've always been thinking and there are many you know there are elegant solutions that are not necessarily tied to the rational routines and procedures that we're all geared towards and we can talk a little bit about left brain and right brain differences in the world that we're in now. And very much, you know, the right brain is the innovative, challenging, creative side. The left brain is more um, procedural, organizational, testing, safekeeping. And not, one's not worse or better than the other. They're just different. But we find that we're creating a world, I find, increasingly with large bureaucracies that is driven by rules and orientation and guidelines and things that actually work against the creative leaps that are required um, <coughs> to, to, to change things. Um, in particular, um, you know, when we're dealing with environments of change and uncertainty and unpredictability and complexity, like we are now living in a pandemic, um, that is when the old rules suddenly don't apply anymore. <laughs> Everything, and we've seen this, we've witnessed this with whole categories and industries suddenly being challenged in a way that they've never ever seen before. Hospitality, airlines, transport, hotels, dramatic change without that ability to think creatively and make those leaps and, and release yourself from the constraints of the old rules. You, you can't find the solutions that you need. So, um, I actually think we're in, entering into a real exciting area, uh, era, um, era I, I should say, of, I call it the age of creativity, even though people are describing 2020 and what we're living through now as the age of disorder, which is true. I think the opportunity is for the age of creativity. Um, and, and brands can, can do this and, and, and capitalize on this um, in turmoil and turbulence and change, um, breaking glass, as I say, that is the time to kind of create new uh, and think differently uh, and, and look for those elegant solutions. So, um, you, you know, you, you started off before asking some of the background and why should any be, anybody bother listening to this crazy old guy on, on your <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, I, I mean, I should reassure some of the people out there that I, I know a little bit about these brands. My last corporate role was running uh, BBDO Asia Pacific out of Hong Kong. So I looked after their 14 markets. And before that, I had 11 years with Ogilvy running their offices there. I'd started in London and four years running Southeast Asia for Leo Burnett. And the beauty of the advertising world was that you had a, a smorgasbord of different clients and cultures. So it was many jobs in one. So you were dealing with a wonderful array of, of clients, as you were mentioning, some of them from, you know, the Disney's, the, you know, the Kodak's, the BMW's, IBM, Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, uh, <coughs> Visa, um, Kodak, uh, you know, so, so many, you know, wonderful um, uh, classic, you know, top 10 brands, and they were all very different. And so it gives you, a, it gave you a very different perspective. Uh, and then after that, I formed my own brand consultancy with a couple of partners in Hong Kong. And we pioneered um, what was then really one of the first specialist brand consultancies and uh, uh, defined or coined the term DNA, which was trying to articulate or bring to life 
um, a, a brand's positioning, unique positioning, a raison d'etre, what Simon Sinek calls the why, and he's marketed brilliantly, um, but in a way that captures the richness uh, of, of brands, uh, but in a practical way you can replicate. Um, and uh, so that's, uh, that's I, I did that for a long time, and, and I still do that and practice that in my brand consulting now in, in Vancouver. Um, so I've, I've had I've had the good fortune to work across many different categories um, and seen all the transitions into you know digital marketing and the digital world and sphere. And what struck me, being a kind of older guy, you know, sitting now a little bit on on the shores, but but still active and wanting to influence, um, that. You know, I was consulting to, you know, young startup YouTube companies here, great people, super smart, bright, um, but not quite having the courage of their own, or confidence of their own courage to follow their own gut feel about what they should be doing. And it struck me that, um, uh, you, you know, the, there are so many constants in change that you could help accelerate them um, if you just shared some of the wisdom Um and showed the constants in building brands and, and having creative thinking and tools to help uh, you think creatively, you could shortcut that process of, of having to make so many mistakes on your own. Adults, you can't tell anyway. They need to learn through experience. Um, but if you codified that experience, you could come back and recognize them. So I wrote the book, Dim Sum Strategy, which basically shared the 40, 45 of the best creative um, and strategic models that my clients were telling me were really resonating with them in the last 30 years of running advertising agencies and building brands and change management. So, so yeah, that's, will hopefully give, give some listeners some confidence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, when I when I read your your kind of I guess your resume, um, it, it was I was like, wow, that's that's incredible. Um, and in the experience that you have from that to bring that to the table to bring that to this podcast, I'm so grateful for. Um, but let's let's go back to a couple things. Um, you you talked about your book, the Dim Sum Strategy. So can you can you kind of give us a synopsis? Like, what is the idea? of that like what does that mean and somebody who hasn't read the book like what's what are the cliff notes a little bit there like give us a little that strat like what does that mean it's well it's it's good dim sum strategy is is what it it's um it, it's really what it sounds like it, it's uh it's like a dim sum meal so i, I wrote this um with the with the, the younger um, Gen Z target audience in mind. So they, they want things really short, easy to digest, like a dim sum meal that you can get the meaning in, in, a, in a 10 minute read and you can begin to practically apply it in a very short period of time. If you want to get more and dive into the full course meal, it's structured in that way as well. So it was, it was done like that. Dim sum, <laughs> dim sum strategy is like bite-sized strategic tools <laughs> that you can cherry pick, you know, so you, there's, there's nearly 50 of them there and you can read through quickly and say, well, this one interests me and that one interests me. And you can pick it up in 10 minutes and it's there and mostly it's visualized, but it also follows a structural pattern, a skeletal pattern, which was in fact what we called, you know, the four D's process of brand building that takes people through, um, you know, discovery, uh, uh, understanding the key perceptions of your brand definition, which was defining your brand DNA. <clears throat> Ultimately, your the, the heart of your DNA is your, your promise, you know, your overarching commitment to your stakeholders and the benefits of delivering against that and then how you go about delivering it, your culture and why you do it, your raison d'etre, that all combined kind of creates your DNA um, with assets and things like that. And then the third D was your direction, how you bring that DNA to life um, <laughs> through a strategic framework that allows you to um, boil down complexity into four or five key things that you can tackle and set a plan to deliver. Uh, and then the last D was delivery, which is how you accelerate it dramatically using 
third parties and other people to simultaneously execute against it. So that was a very um, simple platform that um, has been extraordinarily successful in building brands like Shangri-La and AIG we work with and Sunamkai Properties, the biggest property development company in the world. Um, Swire Group we did and other things like that. And uh, But it works for any kind of brand, whether you're a large corporate brand or a small um, uh, startup or, or an SME. And it works across categories and it works for personal brands as well. So that's the backbone of the book, if you like. It follows that process, but it also is chunked into bite-sized, dim sum, edible, digestible tools. So I have, I have, uh, I guess I have two questions, but let's start with the first one. We're talking about the book. Do you, when you are working with somebody or you're talking with somebody about kind of these strategies and the, in the 45, 50 of them that are in there, are there, are there any that just really seem to hit the top of the list for a lot of people? Would you say that there's, you could pull out like one or two of them and you're like, this is the one that seems to resonate with a lot of People, whether it's marketers or just business people in general out there? Well, I touched on the 4Ds process then, the discovery, definition, direction, and delivery. That's that's the big base one. The DNA is the other again, a key one that people can come back and relate to and touch to it. And that's your a, a DNA, if you like, is this um uh it, it's a like its genetic counterpart, it's a template for replicating consistent desired. Uh, experiences and perceptions of your brand because that's ultimately what a brand is it's what you exist in your customers minds or wish to be a desired territory in the mind and a desired perception and so you know there were four key components of that you know (laughs) that your um, the role that you play in your stakeholders lives why you exist for them what purpose do you serve to to, to for them um, and uh, you know your promise your overarching commitment your benefit that that what what benefit do they get out of you delivering against your promise so that you're clearly customer oriented and it gears you towards thinking that way and targeting your your messages and then how you go about doing it you know the, which is often how you differentiate your culture the, that's the way you stand apart that's your dna so that would be a, a, a key favorite but there are so many other there's that, that we had a um, you know a delivery donut uh, which people <laughs> as well uh, if you can imagine um uh, for the older of your listeners there, um, if you can imagine the Trivial Pursuit little circle thing, it, it looks like a donut like that with, with six cheese pieces in it. And the top half of the three cheeses is what you do. So your, how, you, how you focus on delivering your brand experience drives perception more than talking about the perception. So what you do through your products and services, through your people and through your systems uh, uh, that enable or hinder you to deliver your products and services through your people. That's the do section. So just focus on those first. When you've done that, um, focus on the bottom three, which is the say. So do before say, but your say is your internal communications, which people tend to forget, but it's more important than external, how your staff behave and whether they've internalized your brand values, what you stand for, whether or not they are advocates themselves for your brand. It starts with your internal group, your people, and the, and the stakeholders closest to your brand. So core customers would be included within that. And then external, how you, you, you communicate to your outside stakeholders and prospects. Um, and design as well. And design takes many different forms, more than just visual identity and logo, but how you express yourself creatively in that medium. And all of those work together to form that your desired perceptions of your brand. So you imagine you have your brand DNA in the center of that. That's your delivery donut would be would be another one. That's awesome. That's uh, besides making me hungry for donuts. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a great. Uh, Great thing there. I'm, uh, you know, and we talked about this before we got started. I haven't been able to get the mail to deliver the book on time uh, for us. So I'm excited to, once it finally gets here, to dive into this because I really like the idea. And I think, I think it makes a lot of sense that, that we've got all these strategies and you've, you've kind of broke them down into, into bite sized nuggets that we can look at each one 
and consume it in a short period of time and then say, how are we going to, how are we going to implement this? But this kind of goes back to what we started with the idea of creative thinking, because a lot of this is like, it's, you know, you may have some good ideas and we may read through a book as we often do, or listen to a podcast and say, wow, that's, that's a great idea. And then do absolutely nothing with it. Um, And I think that, I think that then as we go back to creative thinking, we need to say intentionally, like, I'm going to create, I'm going to think creatively as I read through this book and and grab these different things. And how can I learn to implement that uh, within my own business, within my own marketing, within my own career and so forth. So um, do you have, do you have any examples or stories or anything like that where when you're working with, in your past when you're working with uh with with previous brands inside of agency world where you can point to and say here is a very clear uh time where we either a time where we didn't think creatively and things just kind of didn't work or maybe the other way around where we did in fact we thought creatively thought outside of the box and we put together a campaign or some sort of ad set or something like that or whatever it was and maybe it was kind of a, we sure hope this works. Uh, I don't know. And then it worked. I don't know if you have any, anything like that, that you could share with us. Yeah. I mean, um, so many examples. I mean, of course, anyone who's working in the agency world there will relate to the fact that not every campaign is as, as successful as you would like it to be. Um, and you don't always, you know, land on the right answer first time, but, then sometimes you know you you do you absolutely do. Um, I mean, we had so so many things that, um, and and this is again one part of the book is is understanding um, the law of generating ideas and and how ideas are formed. Um, if the you know creative people and creative types tend to be um, prolific, so that they separate idea um, evaluation from idea generation and, and it's human nature when we kind of sit there and talk to critique um, the minute an idea comes out well the, here's all the reasons why it won't work kind of thing um, <laughs> you know the best creative types and agency types are very prolific um, and and they come up with dozens and dozens of ideas and then later on evaluate them so what would happen is it does relate back to your question. You know, we would have many, many ideas and not necessarily know which ones to select um, and experiment with them. I mean, the Chinese have a phrase of like throwing a hundred seeds to the wind and seeing, you know, what what lands and what, what what's fertile. The Western way tends to be the opposite, which is let's test it to death just so we don't make ourselves look fools. Um, but that's very, very difficult to test creative concepts. I don't believe you can do that. You can test final executions. So you ask for a couple of and I've kind of creative and disruptive ideas and, um, you know, going way, way back, um, you know, to the early starting days of, of Ogilvy um, in London. <clears throat> um, we had the Guinness account then. And uh, people forget this now because it's so, so long ago. Um, but Guinness was really struggling then. It was positioned as um, a, a, a healthy kind of robust male-oriented stout that, you know, Guinness is good for you. Um, you know, it was pitched as almost as a food substitute, um, you know, for, for the, the Irish had and, and, you know, was full of nutrients and ingredients and was good for pregnant women. Um, and then we came into this era of, you know, white or blonde alcohol. That's when vodka and, uh, and gin was kind of taking off over, um, scotch and other things and and when the light lagers came in so you know guinness was right up against um all of these light lagers and it's being the exact opposite so you know you you took a, a problem and completely flipped it and created a, a positioning platform for that brand as 
for for the intelligent, for the smart thinking, and um, for the you younger know, if you were really smart, you drunk Guinness, and we'd change that world upside down. I say we. I wasn't as directly involved in it. I was knee high to a grasshopper at the time, but uh, on reflection and coming back to it, it was one of the brilliant campaigns with Rutger Hauer. Um, pure genius was the thought, and and the implication was, you know, drinking Guinness says that you're intelligent and you're smart, and it's the right choice. And, and it was hugely successful. And they came in with this cool, um, surreal, um, uh, um, Salvador Dali-esque type campaign of me, I'm from Mars. You know, what are you thinking? Are you crazy drinking this black stuff? You know, um, but an amazingly appealing um, lifestyle. And it was phenomenally successful. And, you know, so Guinness went from being kind of threatened to having to, you know, brew up distilleries all over the world, which is done now. So I, uh, that's a phenomenal example um, uh, of work that we've done that was incredibly successful. Um, gosh, um, I've tried to bin the failures deep, deep down. So now you put me on the spot. <laughs> now you put me on the spot. I'm, I'm, I haven't got one in the top of my mind, but I'm sure that there were many, many, many failures um, that, uh, that that went went by the wayside um, before. We, yeah, well, I can think of one actually. We we did we did um, work uh, for PepsiCo for Mirinda, which was. Uh, their orange brand, uh, and it was we we wrongly kind of went the normal path of pitching it to young kids and doing um, uh, illustrative animated Disney type cartoon characters, which really just didn't work. Um, we had a very creative client who we worked differently with, and we involved them in generative tissue sessions. And together with our client, you know, we came up with about thirty different ideas. Um, one of which was um, transforming the Blue Man Group, which was a New York uh, then just startup group, which is now very, very famous, um, but colouring the Blue Men orange and calling them the, the Marinda Men. And that was a phenomenally successful campaign for that brand at the time, um, changing the Blue Man Group to orange and uh just a, a crazy, you talk about creative thinking, it wasn't related to anything that actually was was related to the current positioning of that children's brand. And it pitched it much, much more adult, but was quirky and followed rule number one of great advertising, which was, you know, be disruptive, get noticed, yeah. <laughs> and then convey a relevant message. Um, so that's an example of a failure turned into a success. And that's typically often how you, how, how it goes in the creative world. Yeah. And, and I think anybody who's, especially in an agency world or in marketing, as they're working with larger brands and so forth, they're going to see, they're probably going to have their own versions of those stories where it's like, we tried this and we thought, you know, this, this checks all the boxes, this should work. This shouldn't be that difficult. And it just falls flat or, is just mediocre or something like that. So how can how can we when we think about creative thinking, uh, going back to that idea, and as we're working on our brands, like how can we use creative thinking to help our brands in different ways like that? Like what are what are the what are are there any steps or there's things that we can that we can do to say I'm gonna I'm gonna be intentional about using creative thinking to to help my brand in one way or another. Um, well, I, I, the, the, one of the first steps that I, I say is, um, you know, think outside your bubble. That, that's another kind of definition. We are, we're often trapped within our own thought bubbles and our own um, universes without ever actually seeing it. Um, uh, you know, that was uh, uh, President Obama was kind of famous for saying that when um, Hillary Clinton was defeated first time around by Trump. Um they didn't see it. Um, you know, the media, which was predominantly New York centered and uh, liberal focused, hadn't read the signs. In fact, one one um, columnist got it absolutely right because she had noticed at the time that the farmers were painting both Trump on their cows when she was <laughs> driving in, in in Connecticut in the Rust Belt. And she'd written a whole article that proved to be very pressing. Um, but what, what Obama said was, you know, we need to be very conscious of the fact that we are trapped within our own thought bubbles 
and we have our own media and, you know, CNN, if you're a Democrat, Fox, if you're a Republican, and you just, you basically reverberate and echo your worlds and your thoughts without getting outside and seeing the whole. So one of the first things that I think about creative thinking is recognize what the thought bubbles that you're in and that you're trapped within um, and get out of them, go into a spaceship, fire your rocket, smash your bubble. Um, if, if only to come back in with more knowledge about it, but, uh, but bursting your, 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 your bubble uh, in, a, in a constructive way would be a first step. You know, the, the second thing um, I think about is, um, and it's in the book again as one of the tools, is what I call perceptual lenses. Um, and that is understanding the lens through which you're viewing the world and how you perceive things, what your bias is, um, and uh, how you're doing that as a group. And it can be a positive thing or a negative thing. Um, uh, so, And there are many different um, perceptual lenses you can think about. So one obvious one is a generational lens, and we all know how we start with you know, the greatest generation, the war generation, the GIs, the baby boomers, the Gen Xs, the Gen Ys, the Gen Zs. Um, and there are gross generalizations. And of course, you know, you can have tribal interests that transcend all of those generations. If you're a fly fisherman, as I am, you know, you can be a fly fishing fanatic at age 10 or age 100. Um, and, and that doesn't matter. But having said that, there are general perceptions that are true experiences um, through generations that are very, very different. So if you're a young Gen Zer now, you're a digital native. If you're an older baby boomer, you're not. You struggle to learn and, and deal with that, things that come automatically to that younger generation. Um, you, uh, so, so you bring those biases. That's one perceptual lens. I mean, for example, you know, my parents were... Um, war babies, war children, they, they were on food rationing. They never, ever let a single morsel of food remain on their plates. And they kind of drilled that into me and my sisters and brother as, as a next generation. So now I find it quite offensive still. I, I don't leave any waste on my plate, but my children not only do they kind of order in from home, like in separate restaurants, they think nothing of leaving, you know, uh, you know, a half-eaten meal on the plate, which I find sinful. Um, so that's a perceptual lens, and it changes the way you view things. Um, another one would be thinking preferences. It's one of my favorites and one of the most powerful ones. We, we all um, behave differently. And that behavior is driven by how we think. And we have very different thinking preferences. And they're actually quite recognizable. And um, amazing organizations like the Herman Institute of um, Whole Brain Thinking can accurately you know, um, describe uh, thinking preferences that we have. So, for example, you know, are you an analytical thinker, somebody who really prefers things literate and numerate? Um, you like your information short in silver bullet form, give it to me in one page. Uh, you're technically literate, you're, you're financially um, uh, uh, competent and, and, and comfortable with numbers and analytics, you like testing. Or you could be you know, organizational, you, you're a little bit more safekeeping, you like things procedural, well planned out, you're the kind of person who wants the agenda beforehand and all the details there, you're less likely to be a risk taker who would be the kind of creative conceptual synthesizing people who challenge conventional wisdom and <clears throat> push boundaries, take calculated risks? Or are you somebody who's interpersonal, you know, empathetic, conscious of dealing with how other people feel intuitively uh, sensitive to reactions, a good communicator, spiritual, you know, those kind of elements. And you can, we've all got mixes of that, but some of them are very marked and some of them uh, are, are less so. And it doesn't mean anyone is better or worse than the other, but they're very different. And depending on your thinking preferences, the way in which you view the world and process information and communicate and collaborate with others is very, very different, but it's also very predictable. Um, 
So, <clears throat> you know, I do when I work with my clients, I, I work out which language we're talking first so that we are creating a whole brain because that's how the best organizations operate and work when you've got all of those assets, not just one or two. Uh, and that, so that's, for example, you know, another kind of perceptual lens. Um, that's a good example of another tool in the book. So how can we, how can we take this idea of kind of bursting our own bubble and using a different lens? What are some practical ways that we can accomplish this? Cause it's, it's, it's a fantastic idea. And I've seen some some things implemented at an organizational level or at a personal level. But when we're thinking about, say, somebody who's leading marketing within their organization, whether it's the owner themselves or just a you know a director of marketing or something like that. Yeah. What are some things that they can do to say, I'm going to get an outside perspective. I'm going to change my view. I'm going to get different ideas to go back to this creative thinking concept. Like, what can we practically do? Great question. Great question, Mark. Um, and it's not too complicated. It starts with identifying with the concept. If you imagine yourself sitting there and you're suddenly in a cocoon or a bubble, identify it. Describe what that bubble is. You know, are you stuck in the world of um, small design companies? Um, uh, you know, struggling to be able to differentiate products in a very competitive environment. Um, uh, making money doing, you know, logos and visual identities primarily, um, and you know what other design work that you can pick up. Um, <clears throat> what are the what are the the constraints of thinking just within that bubble when your creative powers can go well beyond, uh, uh, you know, two dimensional graphic expression, for example, um, would be one way. Uh, of thinking about it or for a brand it would be um uh, you know how do we translate what we're uh, we're we're operating in i mean let me give you an example with um again years ago with kodak i, I remember in in asia we had a they, kodak came to us had a very smart ceo regional ceo and they were dictated from worldwide headquarters to launch what was then their big idea it was called Advantix. And it was basically not really a very big idea. It was just miniaturizing, but still on silver nitrate and paper printouts, small images of what you had taken on your roll of film. Um, uh, and even, even at that time, we were already in the digital era of capturing imagery digitally. And, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, what, why, why aren't you moving into this digital arena in terms of delivering what you do deliver? Um, and, and we had given them the idea, the thought there was keep it with Kodak, keep your images and your memories that are dear to you with Kodak. And it's a fantastic position they could own for the, for the rest of the, of the, of the, of, of the universe, for the rest of time. Um, it doesn't matter how it's delivered, but for them, their business was directly related to, to the process of printing out um, photographic prints and their bulk of their profit came from silver nitrate processing. And that was entrenched in their cash cow model and they couldn't change it. And so instead of actually thinking outside the bubble and uh, um, saying, you know, the important thing is, is owning or the association of the imagery, however you store it digitally, um, they they kind of lost that. They they may be trying to play catch up and with it now, but nobody actually owns digital imagery like Kodak used to own photography. Um, so many examples like that. I mean, the classic ones, you know, very, very obvious ones like you know Blockbuster and Netflix, and which you know people relate to. Um, you know, the uh, the technology changing, and that's absolutely true, you know, when you can download through the ether a movie as opposed to kind of renting a video, and why would you bother going out outside your house to do it? And it was that writing was on the wall for Blockbuster years and years ago. But again, um, you would have thought they were in the position to transition into that change first with all their money, but they're not. They're locked into huge real estate network costs and things like that. Sony with the workmen. Sony was one of our clients. Um, the, the, you know, they arguably should have been onto um, 
you know, iPods first before even smartphones. They had the Walkman. Can you remember the little yeah. <laughs> the, 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 so they had the, the concept of mobile music in whatever form it was. Um, and, and the benefit being, you know, you can listen to music whilst you're on the go. And, and, can, and that was the kind of thought, transportable carrot with you. Um, and you would think, well, that's the next stage. But when you, when you get stuck into a, um, a vested interest in what you've produced already, you lose sight of your bubble and lose sight of whatever's going there. That's another tool at the end of the book, by the way, vested interest and inertia. Um, it's one of the obstacles to creativity and change. Um, when you've invested so much time and money and systems and um, ways of doing business, uh, people have a vested interest in holding on to that world, not letting go of it because they understand the rules, they're comfortable, typically they're well paid and in jobs that, that you know that are secure and they don't want to lose. Um, and so there's a whole lot of denial and and artificial you know barriers and resistance to it. And sometimes they're successful, you know, too big to fail. Um, you know, car manufacturers would be a classic one. Um, uh, you know, Elon Musk is changing that with the electric car and forcing them to all come around, but helped that he was a billionaire to start with to break through that barrier um, and, and create that inevitable change that's coming. And, and finally, you know, we're getting there, but we've still got, um, you know, systems that are heavily vested in, Fossil fuels, for example. I was trying to get an alternative energy company up for the last decade. It's incredible the obstacles and political barriers that have been put in place to hold and protect the vested interest in flogging as fossil fuels, even though we all know, you know, we can do without them. Uh, and, and again, not to knock them, you know, a hundred years we've needed them, that it's been good to help us get to where we are, but it's a sunset industry, guys. What are we doing putting more money into fossil fuels than we are alternative energy? It's like a no-brainer to me. Sorry if, I, if I'm sounding like I'm on a political soapbox, but it's, <laughs> it's a, a good example, again, of where, you know, creative thinking needs to triumph and, and needs to triumph faster, Um <laughs> rather than and, and, and break through the barriers of this vested interest in inertia, as I call it. So what are, what are some other obstacles that get in the way of, whether it's at that big macro level, like you're talking about energy, or even like a micro level of our like day-to-day, -day, what are some other obstacles that can get in our way of creative thinking? Well, um, typically, um, one of them is, is risk aversion. Um, and quite often, uh, um, let's. I mean, there, there, there are different extremes here. If you, you can. I talked about right, right brainism and left brainism a little bit, and it's a bit of a simplification. But um, you know, it's not untypical in the past in, in a North American type boardroom to have a kind of very heterogeneous older Caucasian male left brain profile, left brain meaning we know the numbers, we're analytical, we're profit driven, uh, we do our research, we keep it short, um, we're on top of technology, we're also ordered procedural, we've done this before and we're going to repeat, yeah? um, <clears throat> uh, but not necessarily are you challenging that status quo, what comes next? Are you breaking things that aren't broken in order to be able to move into the next phase? Um, are you taking you know risks that you that should be taking to advance? Um, and are you doing that in a in a in a, in a way that affects us as, as humans personally in a positive way? Um, quite often, I find that that uh, you're dealing with senior people who are not willing or comfortable with change. Um, uh, and it's not until they're forced to do to consider it, you know, through declining sales or pressure or profit or any one of the other things that are, are typically encountered, um, you, know, uh, you know, uncertainty, unpredictability, change. Change we kind of like to think is something that you can manage around the boardroom, make some sensible decisions and direct, and it will all come out nicely, a bit like, you know, a predictable pattern of a, of a, a, of a 
you know, chrysalis becoming a pupa and a pupa becoming a butterfly bomb. And, and yes, you have to believe that you can determine things up to a point. Um, but most often in my experience, change does not happen like that. Change happens, and I've used this illustration before, um, like a, um, a great white shark attacking from underneath and, and ripping your fins off if you're a seal and you're dead. And that, that may sound a little bit unpleasant, but honestly, to, in my experience, that is more what is likely to happen as change, as we've just witnessed, by the way, and we're witnessing yes. it now with with COVID. It's unexpected. It comes from the dark. You weren't prepared and you ha- you're fatally wounded. Um, <clears throat> and you, you need to reinvent, coming back to creative thinking, restart again. I mean, let's, I mean, I, two, two or three years ago, I mean, I just, I said, right, I'm going to, um, you know, I enjoy the consulting. I can make a difference with a small group of clients that I like and they like me, um, but I want to do more and spread the word and, and hence I wrote the book and, and do more public speaking. So I'll get into this public speaking platform. Perfect timing. You know, I did that a year before COVID struck and basically the professional speaking platform world in the real world collapsed. It's just not yeah. there. Nobody meets. Um, <laughs> so, so what do you do? You reinvent and you reinvent in a virtual world. It's not the same. Is it as good? No, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, can it be made to work? Yes, it can. So, you know, you stay agile and, you know, even even with with age, when typically you become more entrenched in your thoughts and your patterns, um, you don't have to be. Uh, you can you can change the way in which you do things um, and enjoy it. Enjoy the ride as well. Um, again, I, I wish I had some more visuals here to share with you, but um i was uh i was fortunate just before this all broke down i I have a friend who's got a great place in manhattan beach just outside la and we were actually you know in the water in february if you can believe it diving into these wonderful breakers that were coming over the beach it's this fantastic strip of beach and great big waves coming over and and it was a fantastic analogy for dealing with change if 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 change is these these rolling waves hitting at you and they can be quite terrifying, you know, if you try and stand up and resist and don't move, boom, they bowl you over and they dash you onto the shore. You're dead. You wash out. Um, if you have courage, you know, you can dive into them. You can dive under them and let them go right over you, you know, and you can surface again and do it again, time and time again. But if you're really, really smart, you invent a surfboard and you use the energy of the wave and you surf to the shore. Yeah. Um, so there's three different ways and that's ultimately how I try and encourage um, people to deal with and foresee and use creative thinking to ride the wave, surf the wave of change. And um, if my wife was listening to me, she'd say, what a cry, pilot croc. <laughs> you know, you're still so stuck in your ways and <laughs> with your British cynicism and she'd be right in so many ways. So I don't want to have the hypocrite card called on me by friends who know me, but, um, but that's what I aspire to still. And I still try and do that. And I do do that in many ways, but not in others. We're all human. Yes. Yes. I was going to say that's the, the one thing that, and that's, that's been a topic uh, a little bit off of this topic, but the idea of allowing a little bit of grace, because we know that, um, that even, even when we start talking about creative thinking, the people that will listen to this, us sitting here will say, that's a great idea. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Uh, It just is not necessarily going to change overnight. We're not necessarily going to next day start thinking creatively enough or perfectly or in a way that's going to affect change but if we're consistent with it we're diligent with it over time our thinking can become creative can become outside of the box it can affect change in our organization and even in the world Kyle, yeah you're so right i mean it starts with small habits of you just saying look you've got crazy ideas you make this just try them even if they fail you know, what you're going to get a spark. You're going to get a hit on one of them. Um, you know, when I was running ad agencies with um, you know, my creative director partner, um, you know, he would come to me and say, look, you know, we've got some great ideas here, but they're, we're not being able to sell them in because of that conservative thing. And, 
And, you know, I'm, I don't feel that we're getting the full support of the account team sometimes to sell ideas that we're really passionate about. And I said, okay, um, I'm going to, we'll, we'll, how, how do we deal? So we had a great relationship. He was a fantastic, talented chap. David Guerrero is a big, big name in the ad world now. And I said, okay, well, we created the Joker system, which was basically you can play the Joker once a month. So he would sit with his creative team and they would work themselves. So it wasn't up to us, the, the suits, the creative guys themselves would say, this campaign or this idea we think really deserves full throttle, full uh, attention uh, uh, to, to sell. And I said, you can play that once a month with one idea or one campaign, and I will make sure that we do our best to sell that idea, however. Um, <clears throat> and so they use it sparingly, but when we did it, no questions asked, okay? As long as it was legal, decent, honest, truthful, it couldn't be. <laughs> and so he threw some real wild cards at us, but it ended up being some of the best work that we ever did that really challenged. And not everything could be sold, um, but uh, but the mere act of sometimes the creatives seeing the effort that their account management people would put in to sell those ideas, um, even if they weren't successful, really brought the teams together. And, you know, they tried one or two too edgy, um, but, but we took it seriously. And a couple of the ones that, um, they gave us were ones that had been rejected, but uh, were back and we resold. And um, so that was a little way, small little way of just <laughs> changing creative habits and, and championing great ideas. Um, uh, you know, so many little things that, that, that made a difference to recognize people. We used to have a a, um, a, a little nail thing as well. We'd have this big plastic nail and we used it very sparingly, but it was better than any financial award because it was basically the agency recognizing that individual having done a great piece of work and they would come into work one day and there'd be this huge nail hammered into their desk, bang, like this. And <laughs> we'd only do that three or four times a year maybe. And really having nailed something, either kept a client, won a big account. It didn't have to be big even. It could be something small. And a client coming back saying, you know, thanks for delivering us this parcel in the rain. We gave one to one of our delivery boys because, you know, he was stalwart and had actually, you know, was doing that. So little ways in which you can be creative that make a big difference in how your organization runs. And That's awesome. So one last question here. What, uh, as we think about creative thinking, as we kind of think in the world of marketing and agencies and even outside agencies, but uh, what, is there something, one last thing that you would say to our listeners, like you, you really need to grab onto this concept and do something with it? Yes. You've got some good questions. They're tough ones. They're really making me think. <laughs> but this is something that I've come, um, it'll come back full circle to our DNA at the end, but it's something that I feel passionate that I'm conscious about now. Um, and it's one of the problems that I feel is becoming increasingly prevalent for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure why. Um, and it's what I call blanding. Um, it's the opposite of branding. It's it's brands merging together and melding and so that they are totally undifferentiated. And there are many reasons why that happens. Um, you know, uh, Al Reese and his daughter kind of wrote that fantastic book on, uh, you know, taking the theory of Darwinism about the evolution of brands and the law of gradual improvement as Darwin used to say all species kind of rise on a rising tide and so over time all of these improvements kind of make them all look the same cars are a classic example you know yeah they're all wind tunneled now so that they've got fantastic you know wind resistance um they've all got airbags abs bank and braking systems rear view mirror cameras parking whatever and they kind of averaging to the norm. So actually, if you took the badges off, it's difficult to tell an Audi and a BMW and a Mercedes apart from a Hyundai and a Honda and a, an Isuzu or whatever. They all kind of look the same in, in a category. So that happens. Um, 
But on top of this blending thing, we've got into this era of currently now two-dimensional graphic thinking. Um, you know, I just upgraded to Big Sur on, on the Mac. I'm a Mac user. And I thought, oh, God, no. I've been such a passionate <laughs> Mac fan. But he, I said, oh, no, you've caught the disease. You know, you've gone from this beautiful, um, rich, uh, detailed visuals of wonderful vistas that you can throw yourself into to this flat two-dimensional, looks like an old television test screen, which I absolutely abhor and, and instantly kind of took off and changed and put my own visuals on it. Um, but that 2D flatness is everywhere with us. And and it's very cliched. We've seen these, if I see another doodle in Instagram diagram thing, I think I'm going to get mental, you know, <laughs> or another talking head graphic, you know, two minute video, because that's all that our Gen Z people can take is three minutes. And no, you know, sorry, that, that, <laughs> That too, that is all contributing to blanding, as what I would call it. And then we've got this, I think this invidious kind of, um, well, I don't know what to call it. Woke is too simple. Wokeness, cancel culturism, this new age of puritism where it, it seems to be more acceptable to cancel out people's opinions and differences and people are afraid from speaking up their true truth for fear of upsetting anyone, this political correctness. We can't use words. We can't say anything. And people zip up or just shut up. And, and I hate that. I think it goes back to Cromwellian roundhead days. And, and I'm not. I'm afraid I'm a cavalier I'd, and um, I, I, without wishing to ever upset anyone and respecting differences of opinion. Um, I, I'm viva la difference. I, I feel that we should celebrate that. And it's okay to disagree uh, and rather than have this bland nothingness of nobody feeling anything or saying anything that means anything. So like politicians speak, you know, they don't say anything, you know, they say nothing um, yeah. half the time. And, and I'm not into that. I'm into sharp edges as much as we can. That's awesome. So, yeah. And, and to answer your question at the end, how do you do that? You know who you are and you know what you stand for and your DNA helps you do that. It gives you the constant, the confidence of being able to articulate and find your true north, who you really are, why you exist, what reason you exist to serve people as a, and customers as a brand, stakeholders as a brand, how you go about doing it, what benefits you deliver them <coughs> and um and, and, and yeah, the, the, the unique way in which you deliver that as a total package. Um, and so you know, there is a way out of it. And it starts with that richness of definition of, of who you are, not just words, but things that can be translated in, in different dimensions and in and, and a, and a complete rich, organic, living way. Um, so that's, yeah probably a way to end <laughs> that's awesome that, yes yeah we're we've just just i think scratched the surface a little bit we've dived deep on certain things but uh i think that the next step for any listener is to grab your book and so let's just start with that like where can we find your book Okay, well, thanks. The book is called Dim Sum Strategy, um, Bite-Sized Tools to Build Stronger Brands. And the best way of finding it is through my speaker site, which is um, uh, peterwilkin.com. That's uh, P-E-T-E-R-W-I-L-K-E-N.com, peterwilkin.com. And you'll find that there's a link to uh, the book, Dim Sum Strategy, on that website. And um, you can find out more and, and go into it there. You can find it on, on Amazon, of course, if you just put dim sum strategy in um, uh, or dimsumstrategy.com, you'll find it as well. But the best one is, is my website. Thank you. PeterWilkin.com. And I would assume the same, the same answer to the question of if somebody wants to engage with you, whether it's just questions or if they want to, possibly hire you as a consultant or something like that would that they also go to the website yeah the, the same same go to that website my email address there is, is peter at peterwilkin.com um my consulting firm is called dolphin 
dolphin brand strategy. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but thing, yeah. I, I dolphins think if you've got time for another podcast, we'll we'll do that. That's a great perceptual lens, actually. Shark, mm. and dolphin, but um, there's there's uh, yeah, there's a reason behind the name. That's awesome. Mm. Well, yeah, let's. Uh, Let's uh, let's let's do that. I think that that's intriguing enough for me, at least, to have that conversation. We can record it and share it with others. So, Peter, I am just so grateful for your your time here today and just sharing with our guests. Um, thank you for that, and uh, for uh, really clearly investing your life into making a difference uh, when it comes to thinking creatively and other things. Obviously, you've got to a broad range of experience and so forth. But again, just thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And uh, we look forward to being able to, to share the message. So no, thank you so much for having me. And it's great, you know, um, Blackwood Creative, I wish you all the best. It's wonderful that you're asking these great questions. And, you know, I'm quite sure your clients, you know, benefit from your searching and doing this kind of thing and, and constantly learning and improving. So, you know, you, you know, you know, your clients are lucky to have you. It's good. Well, you kind of let, you kind of let the bat, the cat out of the bag with that one. That's kind of our secret goal of this whole podcast. We just want to learn for ourselves and get better. And then we just record it and share it a little bit, but no, that's uh but yeah, I appreciate that. And, and, uh, thank you again, Peter. And so if you want to get in touch with Peter again, go to his website, peterwilkin.com. Uh, we'll link that up in the show notes and so forth. And, uh, thanks guys for, for coming and listening. We hope that this was valuable to you and, uh, we'll uh, see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the big brand theory podcast. Make sure to like, and follow us on social media and subscribe to the podcast today. 